In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it records the first time Jesus preaches. And the first word out of Jesus' mouth was repent. Now, when I say that word repent, I don't know about you, but what conjures up in my mind is the movies I've seen that show the people that love to use that word. You know, it's the crackpot who's carrying the sign saying, repent, the end is near. And they always make those guys look as nutty as possible. And because of that, we look at that word and we think, man, repent, that's just kind of a weird religious word, and what's that all about? But the word actually means, the word repent means to, to turn. It means to make a 180 degree turn. It means to change your mind, change the way you think. And repentance is, we're going to see, taught throughout the New Testament as a part, an important aspect of saving faith. Repentance isn't something that we do to earn God's favor or something that we do so that God uh, you know, uh, will do something for us. Repentance is our response to who God is, how He showed Himself in Christ, and what He's done to save us. And so we want to talk about today how important repentance is. And this is a great section to do it because not only does it give us some clear uh, definitions about repentance, but it also gives us a great context to see how repentance works. Because Paul is writing to the Corinthians in, in wanting to continue to affirm that he actually is an apostle. He's trying to continue, as we've seen throughout 2 Corinthians, build his own credibility. Because false teachers, false apostles have come into Corinth and have wanted people not to listen to Paul anymore. And so Paul's kind of reminding the Corinthian church of some of his history with them. And, and this section's no different. He's reminding them of, of when he had to correct them, and even though that was really difficult for them to be corrected, that they did repent. They did turn in that correction. And that correction was done in the midst of relationships. And so what we want to talk about today is the importance of repentance. And so I'm going to give you three basic things. If you have notes that we passed out You'll be able to follow along with me, but uh, let's look at verse 2. Paul starts off by saying again how much he's committed to the Corinthians. He says, open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, cheated no one. These are kind of the probably accusations that the false apostles are making of Paul, that he's an apostle who's trying to wrong somebody or cheat them of money or corrupt uh, a real faith, when actually he's the one who's established them in real faith. And Paul says, I do not say this to condemn. In other words, Paul's saying, look, I'm not accusing you guys of believing this stuff, but I'm just answering for myself that these false apostles are wrong. He says, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Haven't we seen this all throughout 2 Corinthians? Paul declaring his commitment, his love for these people. This is not just some guy who's on a speaking tour, kind of trying to wax eloquent about the religious things. This is a guy who went to Corinth, who worked a job so they didn't have to give him any money, and preached the gospel to these guys, explained who Jesus was to these guys day in and day out for years. He, he knew these people intimately. He was close to these people. He loved these people. And he even suffered greatly for his relationship with these people. And so Paul again is bringing this up. He's saying, guys, come on, don't forget of my commitment towards you. And so he even says in verse 4, great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. For I am filled with comfort and exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. 
Now, he goes to describe his tribulation in verse 5 when he talks about, hey, we were in Macedonia and our bodies had no rest. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Remember, the letter started off with this. Paul's letter started off with Paul saying, we don't want you to be ignorant of our sufferings. Macedonia was a tough ride, man. That was a difficult bit of ministry. But what he's saying here is, listen, even though we were suffering greatly, our suffering was overshadowed by the good news of your response. When we heard how you guys responded to the correction, that you turned back to God when you were doing things you shouldn't have been doing, man, even though we were suffering greatly, we thought, oh man, this is such good news. They were encouraged by it. Then it says in verse 6, Paul says, Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which uh, he was comforted in you. And this is kind of the news that Titus brought back to Paul. Because he told us, Paul says in verse 7, he told us of your, the Corinthians, earnest desire That's probably speaking of their longing to to reconnect with Paul. He says, of your mourning. Probably speaking of the fact that they realized they had messed up in a big way. Your zeal for me. Probably in reference to the fact that they were grieving that Paul was going through such a tough time. And when Paul heard this good news, he thought, man, this is awesome. These guys really do still care for me. Now, I'm taking the time to pull this all out because it's important to recognize that that this, this Paul calling the Corinthian church to repentance, to turn back to God when they've done something wrong. He's doing it in the context of a godly relationship. And this is really important because repentance, calling one another to turn back to God when we mess up, that is part of godly relationships. Now, we don't like that. No, none of us like to be called out when we've done something wrong. None of us want to confront somebody when we see a good friend doing something wrong. But the reality is, when we love each other, this is what we do. Repentance is important because you can't actually have a godly relationship unless there is repentance. We would all say it's common sense, right? To have a godly relationship, there has to be forgiveness. Would we agree with that? That's pretty simple, isn't it, right? I mean, even people who don't follow Jesus would say, yeah, forgiveness is an important aspect of relationship. Well, repentance is just the call to turn from the behavior that you need forgiveness from. So we would expect this is a part of godly relationships. This is why the Proverbs say this. Listen, Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. We've mentioned this verses, these verses before, haven't we? Godly relationships are the kind that are, are about helping one another walk with God. And walking with God means that we have to be willing to turn from sin and sin and trust Him to deal with the stuff that we get wrong. And so what Paul's saying here is he's saying, he's reminding them of this relationship. He's rejoicing in the fact that, look, we've had this great relationship. We've heard how you've turned uh, uh, from the things that you've been involved in uh, that we wrote to you about. Uh, we, we hear how, about your heart towards us. And, and, you know, he's just saying, look, this is the context for our, for our relationship. It is one where we correct you and and you receive that. It is one where we want to see one another walk in godliness. We talked a little bit about this a few chapters back when we were talking about being a restoring church and how Paul wanted to see the church in Corinth restored. And that we want to be that kind of a church. We want to be those kind of people. 
We want to be the kind of people that, well, we, we want to call people out of their sins. We want to call people toward godliness. Remember, we're not talking just about bad things that people do, but good things that people neglect. I mean, I would hope, guys, seriously, I would hope that our relationship together, that your relationship to me, that you guys who consider Servants Church your home church, that you guys would look to me, and if you saw that I was always neglecting Sarah and my children, that you would come to me and say, bro, you got to spend some time with your family. Oh, I'm not doing anything wrong, I might say. But you'd say, well, it's not so much that you're doing something wrong, but you're not doing something right that you know you should be doing. God, God calls you to mention them first. What can we do to help you to make sure you can get some time with your family? Because you need to minister to them. Would you call me to repent of not ministering to my family? I hope you would. God wants us to be this way. Repentance is an important part of all godly relationships. Now, verse 8, Paul now wants to talk about what repentance is and really kind of gives us a definition. And I want to just say this. This is the second thing I want us to understand about the importance of repentance. And that is repentance is the evidence of a changed heart. Remember, this is what it means to be a Jesus follower. It doesn't just mean to say, okay, we know there's this historical guy named Jesus and he taught a lot of cool stuff and we want to conform to those teachings. That's part of it, but it's way bigger than that. Being a Jesus follower is a recognition that you need your heart changed and only he can do that change in your heart. And repentance is the evidence of that. Look what Paul says, verse 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I don't regret it, though, he says, I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a little while. Now notice what Paul's doing here. Paul's concerned that he was concerned, he regretted initially writing this letter. Now we don't know if he's talking about 1 Corinthians or this other harsh letter that he kind of mentions. It could have been, we don't know which one it was. But either way, he wrote a letter that he thought was, was, man, that might have been a bit too harsh. He was afraid that he was being too harsh. That's important, isn't it? Because most of us are the kind of people that don't want to confront. But some of us like confrontation. <laughs> we like telling people off. You messed up. You blew it. We like that kind of thing. Now, Paul wasn't like that. Paul wasn't looking for a way to just tell somebody off. He didn't want to be too harsh. And that's why he says, look, I... I, I don't regret sending that letter. He's going to talk about why. He says, but I did regret it for a while because I thought, man, am I being too harsh? Was this too difficult for these guys to take? And I like that. I like the fact that Paul would call himself on that, that it shows something of his heart, doesn't it? And this is important for us, too, when we're calling each other to repentance. It can't just be about, ha, I caught you in something. I'll get you back for calling me out like you did three months ago. Now it's my turn to call you out. It's not like that. But he says, here's why he didn't regret it. Look what he says. Verse 9, Now rejoice that you were made sorry. Not, I'm sorry, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Now it's important we recognize this, okay? <clears throat> repentance is a lot more than feeling bad. I mean, that's part of it. We should, we should feel bad about our sin. When we do something wrong, we should feel bad, shouldn't we? I mean, girls, let me ask you a real question, okay? If you had a boyfriend and you found that that boyfriend was unfaithful to you and you called him out, look, you, you were, I saw you kissing this other girl. What's going on? And he was like, yeah, that's wrong. Sorry. How would your relationship go after that? 
<laughs> exactly. It would be over. No, and vice versa. Guys with girls, it would be the same thing. We'd be the same way in, in, in a variety of different circumstances. We, we expect if someone's done something wrong, not just to say, oh, yeah, okay, that was wrong, but to, to know it was wrong, to feel bad about it. It's a good thing that we feel bad about wrong that we've done. It's, it's part of what makes us human. We have this conscience. Conscience means with knowledge. We have a sense of right and wrong. We have a moral compass. A moral compass gets shaped and kind of even contorted by how we grow up sometimes, but we still have this moral compass. It's part of being human. So we'd expect people to feel bad, but repentance is way bigger than feeling bad about what you've done wrong. So Paul says, listen, I'm not rejoicing because you felt bad. I'm rejoicing because the bad feelings that you had, the sorrow that you had, led to repentance. He says in verse 10, notice, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. And what diligence did it produce in you? And he names all these, these characteristics of, of their behavior that changed. In fact, interesting, that word diligence, it's kind of a word that means just the opposite of apathy. It means it's someone who, who knows that they have to change. Something has to take place. Now, what's kind of cool about this section is that Paul kind of gives us some things to where we can we can contrast and compare. He talks about uh, uh, a godly sorrow versus a sorrow of the world. He talks about regret. He uses the word regret, and he talks about repentance. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of compare these two things from you uh, and bring out some of the things that I think Paul's teaching in these verses. I want to compare with you regret versus repentance, okay? First thing, when we talk about regret, we're talking about Concern, being concerned, regret concerns itself with offenses towards men. Oh man, I might have hurt that person's feelings. Nothing wrong with that. Again, nothing wrong with that sense of regret. Repentance, though, concerns itself with offenses towards God. That's a big difference. Now, do you guys remember the story of uh, David and Bathsheba? Anybody remember the story? David was the king of Israel. And he had had great success. He had many wives. Uh, and at a time when he should have gone out and led his armies to battle, instead he decided to kick back at home. And as he's kicking back at home, he's that one night, he's on a rooftop. It's kind of what you did. You chill out on the rooftop. It was hot. You want to go outside where it's nice and cool. And he looks and he sees this, this hottie taking a bath on another roof. And he's thinking, dang. And so what does he do? He sets up to get her to come to him. She's a married woman. Her name is Bathsheba. And she comes, she comes to him, he lies with her, she gets pregnant. So what he does, he, he, he comes up with this elaborate scheme. He's going to get her husband to come back off the battlefield, send him home, they'll sleep together, and then they can say the baby is his. But the guy who he pulls back, Uriah, has so much honor with all his brothers fighting the war, he won't go lie with his wife. When he comes back to see what his king wants, he listens, and then he sleeps on the porch of David's house because he's too honorable. So David's going, oi. Okay, so then David tries to get him drunk to see if he'll go. He still won't go. So David's going, oh. So what David ends up doing is he ends up having uh, Uriah go back into battle, sends a letter with him to give to a superior officer that says, put Uriah up front in the heat of the battle and have everyone else withdraw. And what happens? Uriah's killed. 
And so he does all these evil things. This is David who's supposed to be a man after God's own heart. He does all these really wicked, evil things. And then guess what happens? He hides it for a year. He ends up marrying Bathsheba, tries to act like everything's fine, but he hides this sin. And there's a couple psalms he writes about the sin, talking about how, how his bones ached before him while he was under this because he was feeling like rubbish because he knew he had done so wrong, probably waiting to get exposed. And finally, this prophet Nathan comes up, and Nathan says to David, hey, I want to tell you a story, David. David goes, oh, go for it. Nathan, you're a prophet. I like your stories. And so he says, okay, there's a story. There was a man who had one sheep, one little lamb, and he loved that little lamb. He treated it like one of, its ch- one of his children. He kept it in his house. Loved this lamb. And then there was another rich man in his same city who was having some guests over for dinner. And that rich man had thousands of sheep, thousands of lambs. But what he does instead is he goes to that, that man's house who has that one lamb, and he takes the lamb for himself. He steals it, and he serves it up to his guests. And David hears the story, and he says, that man should die. And Nathan says, you're the man. That's you. And he realizes he's completely convicted. He has sinned by seducing Bathsheba into extramarital sex, by lying. He also sinned by not, by not doing what should be done as a king, by leading his people. And then he does, has adultery. He lies. He gets... He, promotes drunkenness, he murders, and then he hides it for a year. And what happens when he gets caught? He's like, oh, what have I done? And he writes this letter, this psalm, Psalm 51. And look what he says in Psalm 51. Listen. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Do you see what David's doing? David is not just realizing that he's sinned against Bathsheba, that he sinned against Uriah, that he sinned against his people by not leading them. He's recognizing all those sins are heinous because they're sins against God. Because God says that's wrong. And so he recognizes, ultimately my sin, God, is against you. And he realizes he has to turn. He realizes that he doesn't try to justify himself. He knows God's blameless for judging me. God should wipe me out if he wants to. That's repentance. See, repentance isn't just concerned about, hey, have I offended people? Don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Don't want to do anything that would make somebody uncomfortable or angry. No, what about God? What offends God? What offends your creator? What offends the one who loved you and gave himself for you? What offends the one who's made you and given you every good and perfect gift? What offends him? Repentance looks at that and says, I need to turn back to him. He's the one I've offended. You don't hear much talk about that, this nowadays. But let's be honest, it's not comfortable, is it? It's not comfortable thinking about that there's this all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent God who we've offended. And we've offended not just once or twice, but often and daily. We don't like that. But the reality is, Paul's saying, listen, repentance is about, listen, the scripture says repentance is about recognizing we've offended God. 
And we need to turn back to him and say, God, we were wrong to offend you. Regret's just concerned with how it offends people. Not that we shouldn't be concerned with that as well. We'll talk more about that in a second. So that's the first difference between regret and repentance. Let's look at another one, okay? Regret versus repentance. Regret only sees the evil of the consequences. Whereas repentance sees the evil of the act. Do you understand? Now let's be clear. David really didn't have immediate consequences. He ended up marrying Bathsheba. He had another hottie to the list. He, he, the, he ends up having a child. In fact, Solomon, the son who takes over the kingdom, comes eventually from Bathsheba. Now, God did deal with him. God did discipline him. But to be honest, in one sense, it wasn't even a consequence in his case. He just recognized this was an evil thing to do. Now, let's compare this to somebody else. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17. This is talking about another Old Testament character named Esau. It says, For we, you know that afterward, when Esau wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, and he found, for he found no place for repentance. Notice, though he sought it diligently with tears. Now again, I've got to tell you the story. Esau has a twin brother, Jacob. Jacob is kind of a conniver. Esau was born first, but God had prophesied that the The younger son would rule over the older son. But Jacob, being a schemer and his mom helping him out, they set up this plan where basically they can get Esau to sell his birthright, this place of honor that he would have, this greater inheritance and this power in the family he would have as the firstborn. They're trying to trick dad into giving this to Jacob. And so they do this. They, they trick it. They basically, Esau basically comes in one day from hunting. He's, he's super, super hungry. He doesn't want to wait to cook his own meat. And so he sees there's Jacob. They're making some lentil stew, you know, cooking up. And it smells really good. And, you know, Esau says, give me some stew. And Jacob says, uh, what are you going to give me for it, basically? And he goes, what do you want? He says, I want your birthright. Fine, you have my birthright. And he gives up his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of soup. And what happens is later on when it comes time to do that and the blessing, the time for blessing happens, there's another trickery thing that happens so that uh, to make sure that uh, uh, Jacob's father uh, blesses him, Isaac blesses Jacob with as the firstborn or with the, the blessing of the firstborn. And when Esau comes in, there's nothing left for him. There's no, fir- there's no blessing left for him. And so he's just so hurt by this. He's weeping. Oh, Father, what about me? Father, Father, what about me? And he's grieving over what? The consequence. He's not grieving over the fact that he thought his birthright was worth but a bowl of soup. He's, he's not grieving over the fact that he was a carnal man just led by his appetites. He's grieving over the fact that, oh, man, I don't get the double portion of inheritance. See, Regret only cares about the evil of the consequences. Repentance sees the evil of the act. Let's look at another one. Regret brings self-pity, hopelessness, and condemnation. What does Paul write here? The sorrow of the world brings death. See, if we only are regretting the consequences of our sin, if we're only regretting how our offenses might have uh, have been taken by men. If that's all we're regretting and our heart isn't turned to God, then we stay in this place of condemnation. We stay in this place where we're not right with God. 
The Bible is really clear in the book of, uh, of John, the Gospel of John chapter 3, he who does not believe is condemned already. We're in that place naturally because we do offend God all the time. So we're in that place of condemnation. Guess what? Just regretting the consequences of your sin doesn't remove the, conse- doesn't remove the condemnation. Oh, that was, yeah, I can see. I, I really did kind of mess up my life by making these bad choices. Yeah, but do you realize you've also offended God? Do you realize that this is the, the thing that happens? When you do that, all, all that happens is you just have self-pity. Oh, I'm such an idiot. Why have I done this? And then you, do, you go, what happens? You go and you do something like that again. And then what happens? You're hopeless. No matter how bad you feel about it, you're hopeless because you think, how am I ever going to change? And what does that end up leaving you? Lost, separated from God, condemned. It's a horrible place to be. Can you see why we're talking about the fact that repentance is way bigger than just feeling bad? And that our goal for you is not that you would just feel bad? See, repentance on their hand is this. Listen, repentance, listen, it produces self-denial, hope, and assurance. When you actually realize, man, I have sinned, and I've sinned against God, and you turn back to God. You know what God does? When we turn back, when we turn away from our sin, God, I don't want this anymore. I want you now. I want to come back to you. When you do that, do you know what happens? God says you're forgiven. You know what happens? God says, listen, there's hope. God says you can have assurance that you can know me. Let me make sure I'm being clear about what I mean by self-denial. Because Jesus said, listen, Jesus said, here's the requirements if you're going to be a Jesus follower. It says you have to pick up your, he said you have to pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. That's what Jesus said. That's what it means to be a Jesus follower. That's not just for some super saints. It's for everybody who says they want to be a Christian. They need to, they need to pick up their cross, deny themselves, and follow Jesus. You know what it means to deny yourself? It doesn't mean to cause yourself pain necessarily, though sometimes it can be, self-denial can be painful. To deny yourself means to deny allegiance to yourself. It means I'm no longer going to live the way I want to live. I'm going to live the way he wants me to live. It's to deny self-rule. Do you understand? That is our natural inclination. It's not just a Western thing where we think, hey, we're, we're, we believe in democracy and we can do what we want to do. No, it's a human thing. We want to do what we want to do. I didn't teach my kids to be selfish. One of the first words all my kids learned was, mine, mine. That's how we are. I'm sure it was much worse. We are naturally want to rule ourselves, but what happens when we rule ourselves? We sin against one another and we offend our great God. So to follow Jesus means to deny yourself, to say, you know what, I'm not going to rule over my life. God, you, you are worthy of the ruler of my life. You make better choices than I do for me. So I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you want. That's what repentance leads to. Self-denial and hope and assurance. Look what the Scripture says. Look at the way Paul talks about his ministry when he would preach to people. Listen, Acts chapter 20, verses 20 and 21. Paul says, I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Notice, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you recognize that repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin? If you've been taught, just ask Jesus in your heart and everything will be okay, you've been taught a lie, a half-truth. 
To receive Christ is to turn from sin. To turn from sin can only happen if you're willing to receive Christ. Because you can't deliver yourself from your own sin. Only Jesus can. This is why repentance is so important. Repentance is an aspect, a non-negotiable, necessary aspect of saving faith. I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to stop trying to rule my own life. I'm going to say, Lord, I'm going to look to you. I'm going to trust what you say about my life. I'm going to trust what you say about my destiny. I'm going to trust what you say about my relationship with you. Last one in this section, regret versus repentance. Regret, listen, desires a change of outcome. I mean, we've all been there, right? I've been there lots of times, lots of times. I mean, it's one of the things that's really difficult about being a parent is that every day you have, especially if you have multiple kids, I have five children, so every day I have multiple opportunities to blow it. <laughs> and I do. And sometimes I go, oh, I wish I could just change the way that discussion went. I wish I could change the way, you know, we dealt with that issue. It happens all the time. And regret just wants the, the outcome to change. But you know what happens when I repent, when I turn back to God? It produces a change of behavior. You know, God, when I blow up at my kids, it's just wrong. It's a sin against them, and it's a sin against you. Forgive me for that, God. Wash me clean again, and I want to change. I want to start being, I want to be calm when I talk to them. I want to be not so worried about things that aren't as important as other things. I want to major on the majors and minor on the minors. Lord, help me. I trust you can do that for me. I want to change the way I am. That's repentance. That's what God calls us to. That's normal Christianity. Can you see again why it's so important that we understand that this is more than feeling bad for us, that repentance, listen, not only is a part of godly relationships, but also it's the evidence of a changed heart. How do you know God's actually changed your heart when he asked him to save you? Because you walk in repentance. <laughs> you keep turning back to him. It's not because you don't sin anymore. Hello. We sin all the time. It's but when we mess up, God, I should have loved that person and I just was hard-hearted and careless. Forgive me, Lord, that was wrong. I want to turn back to you. Oh, Lord, I shouldn't have said those things that I said. Oh, God, that was wrong. Forgive me, Father. I want to walk with you. I want to change the way I speak and act and think. That's repentance. Now, if you're hearing this and you're thinking, oh, that sounds way too hard. I can't do that. Do you know the Bible talks about that it's God who grants us repentance? It's God who, who gives us a new state of mind. It's God who teaches us to think differently. Although, not without our cooperation, don't get me wrong, but it's God who does this work. This is why I'm saying this is good news, man. The good news is you don't have to keep doing the things you're doing and feel bad about it. You can change. That's why God calls you to change. When Jesus says repent, it's a word of hope. He's saying you can change. I came so you could change. I came so you could be forgiven and free and you could change. You could actually start loving people. 
You could actually start loving God. You could actually do things that aren't just for your best interests, but for the interests of others. You can change. Why? Because Jesus came. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. He sent his Holy Spirit to make it all happen. You can change. Repentance is the evidence that God's changed your heart and he's changing your life. I'm almost done. Last thing. Third thing. Repentance. Listen. First thing was, repentance is a part of God's relationships. Second thing was, repentance is the evidence of a changed heart. Here's the third thing. Repentance encourages fellow believers. Man, I'll tell you what. I am so blessed when I see God deal with someone's heart and they turn back to God in faith and say, ah, sorry, Lord, blew it. Forgive me for that. It's so awesome to see people keep turning back to God. It's amazing. And and Paul writes about this. Look, Look what he says, verse 13. He says, therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort and we rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Now, when these guys, remember Titus, Paul sent Titus to, the, to Corinth to see how, how had they received his letter. Had they actually responded in repentance, right? And they had. They had totally responded in repentance. And in fact, they would responded in repentance so much that when they saw Titus, they just ministered unto Titus. They received him in such a way that was, it was just, it was awesome, you know? And, and they, were, they were concerned with Paul's welfare as we just read earlier. In fact, if you drop into verse 15, it says, and speaking of Titus, and his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all and how with fear and trembling you received him. That idea of fear and trembling is they recognize that he's coming with authority. Titus came representing the apostle Paul. He was in an authoritative position and they were humble about that. They were humbled before him and just thought, you know what, do we need to get chased, you know, told off some more? If we do, we do because we really blew it here. And he's like, wow, Titus is like, you guys are, man, this is so awesome. You've totally turned back to God and you're totally concerned about Paul and you're totally treating me with all this respect. This is good stuff. And so when he goes back and he tells Paul, when Titus goes back and he says, Paul, man, those guys, the Corinthians, you know, it was, it's just so cool to see how God's working in their lives and they're turning back to, to, to God and they're, they're, they realize they messed up in these situations. Man, it's so encouraging to see. So Paul's over the moon by this. In fact, he says in verse 14, notice, for if in anything I have boasted to him, to Titus, about you, I'm not ashamed, but as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. So you get this picture that, that, that Paul, when he sends Titus, he's going, okay, Titus, I want you to go see how those guys are doing. See if they've responded to this letter I wrote. Uh, you know, but these are good people. These, God's doing a good work in them. We, we, we gotta believe that God's doing something. Let's, let's, love believes all things. Let's believe that God's doing a work in them. So he's bragging about these people. He's bragging about God's work and these people. And he's over the moon. He's so rejoicing over the fact, yes, I knew that boasting was right. I knew this was good. You have to know something. As a pastor, next week, you might not know this, next week we're going to have a guest speaker, uh, my friend Rob Demon, great guy, amazing Bible teacher, way better than me. You really like this guy. And uh, what's awesome is that, you know, when I have guests come and they speak, and they say like, man, that church is awesome. I'm like, it is. <laughs> These people are great. God's doing a good work in people's lives. And there's no more better joy than I have. John the apostle said, I have no greater joy than my children walk in truth. It's awesome to see people turn from their sin and begin to walk with God, turning to God over and over again. It's a great thing to see. 
And Paul's saying, man, I'm rejoicing over this. And then he says in verse 16, therefore, he says, I rejoice that I have confidence in you and everything. And this is probably setting him up for what he's going to talk about in chapter 8, which my friend Rob will teach on next week. Um, and just how he's going to call them to a greater service. He's going to call them to like a, a Christ-centered generosity. And he's going to have confidence because of how you keep turning to God. I have confidence that I can encourage you in these things. Guys, listen. When you turn to God, it encourages other believers, man. When you repent of your sins, guess what it encourages your friends to do who are believers? Repent of their sins. When you're quick to go, yeah, I messed up this week, you know, I really could use some prayer. I really want to walk the walk with God. I want to mess around. I want to come back to Him. Man, that encourages people. Can you see why the Bible says confess your sins one to another and pray for one another? There's an encouragement in our mutual repentance and our mutual turning back to God. Let me close with this scripture in uh, Matthew chapter 3, these scriptures. And while I'm reading these, I'm going to ask the music team to come back up. It says that John the Baptist was preaching. You remember John the Baptist was kind of the forerunner of Jesus. He kind of prepared people to receive Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, notice, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then later on, he calls people to bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, repentance is turning back to God and it always shows itself in action. The Bible teaches us that if we repent of our sins and we believe in the Lord Jesus, we'll be saved. That's what it says. To repent of your sins is to say what we've been talking about today. It's to say, I don't want that anymore. I want God instead. I want God more than I want my sin. Now, please don't misunderstand me. For especially for you guys who, who maybe are just wondering if you want to follow Jesus at all. Maybe this is new to you. I'm not saying to you that you're going to turn to God and you're never going to want to sin again. You're going to turn to God and you're going to want to sin again the next second. This, there's this war that happens in our hearts. And that war begins when we receive Christ. It's this battle. I want God but I kind of want that stuff too. The good news is, the more we pursue God and repent, we turn from those sins, the more we long for God, the more we want more of Him. Once you taste the fruit of repentance, you get an appetite for repentance. You think it's good to keep turning back to God because God is so gracious and so patient and so forgiving and so good. I want to call each and every one of you today to repentance. To turn back to God. Be willing to believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all your sins, past, present, future. Be willing to believe that when he rose from the dead, as he said he would three days later, 
that that proves that he is who he said he is. He is the Son of God. And that your forgiveness is real. And that because he rose from the dead, that same power that rose Jesus from the dead will change you. That's what salvation is. It's God changing you. God, in an instant, giving you a position with him, adopting you into his family, and then for, from here until you see him face to face, changing you. Ultimately, you'll be perfectly changed when you see him face to face. All that guaranteed because of what Jesus did. If you will turn from your sin and turn to him. Can you see the importance of repentance? Can you see that if there's not repentance, there, there really isn't any salvation? And let me ask you something very plainly. If you haven't turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus, why? Why are you hesitant? Is it because you don't really believe that Jesus died on the cross for you? You don't really believe he's risen from the dead? Or is it that you think your sins are so bad that his death couldn't cover it? Or is it that you think your sin's going to be better than knowing God and walking with the creator of the universe? What is it? Think deeply on this. Jesus wants to present you clean. He rejoices. The Bible says it pleases the Lord to save us. He he rejoices in cleansing us and teaching us to walk with him. Why don't you turn to him today? If you don't know him, turn to him today. And if you do know him and you know that you've sinned, turn back to him. Repentance is a good thing. 